Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Security Token Show. I'm your host, Kyle Sondland, and with me, as always, is Herwig Konings. We've got a great episode lined up for you today, starting with last week's industry news, coverage on the latest STO and secondary market updates, and then we're going to jump into our main topic today, which is regarding the SEC and their no-action letter on non-custodial trading of digital asset securities on an alternative trading system. So that's quite a mouthful, but it's an exciting topic to get into later. Yeah, it looks like it's also a pretty advanced topic today, Kyle. But uh, the SEC releasing a no-action letter on this topic is for sure big news. But first, our loyal listeners know we always kick off the show by giving our Company of the Week awards to two companies making big moves in the space. Who do you have for this week, Kyle? Well, episode 63, Herwig, my Company of the Week is Science Blockchain. And so we covered the tokenized fund a few weeks ago when they announced their reissuance through the Securitized platform, exchanging their previous tokenized shares with the ticker SCI for the newly upgraded SCI2 shares. The likely reason here is probably to improve regulatory compliance now that the regulation is much more clear than when science issued the SCI tokens in-house a few years ago. However, the firm is back at it with some very interesting use of tokenized distributions for their shareholders. So Science Blockchain announced via a press release last week that they are airdropping the final distribution of their crypto portfolio to SCI2 shareholders. In the same way that Overstock distributed a security token to their public shareholders, it appears that Science is distributing crypto assets to their token holders, specifically this time video coin tokens in the recent distribution. The tokenized fund has distributed portfolio company tokens to shareholders in the past through a firm called TokenHub, but now they'll be conducting this process through the Securitize native platform as well. So congratulations to Science Blockchain for a successful reissuance, but more importantly, this innovative distribution method to reward token holders while embracing the security token standard. And for that, they're my company of the week. Great choice. Science has been one of the leading, you know, tokenized blockchain firms in the space amongst others. So I think it's great to see how they're really owning up to their blockchain mantra and using, you know, as you said, an airdrop dividend of their, their uh, portfolio. It's quite unique uh, when it comes to what we've seen with other tokenized funds. So that great stuff. Congratulations, Science Blockchain. Yeah, definitely. I think that I see here that they've actually distributed Tokens such as ICO Watchdog, Spring Rolls Invite Token, Polyswarm, Aventus, WePower, Mainframe, and, and some of the other ones as well. So they've, they've given out more than just this video coin distribution. And so it's, it's pretty interesting, especially for a tokenized fund, to then be giving some of those portfolio distributions back to shareholders. Lots of cool fund asset mechanics we can get into there, but that's probably a whole other topic for a whole other show. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to jump into who my company of the week is, and Definitely. actually, it's somebody who is joining the two-time winner club since you chose them Ooh. back in episode thirty-nine, Kyle. You know, at that point, Cadence had crossed the mark of over eighty-eight million dollars in deals, over seventy-six offerings 
via 12 originators, one of them being Fat Brands, which is a fast food conglomerate that owns Fat Burger and Hurricane Wing and Grills, among other franchise chains. And the latest news specifically here is that Cadence has once again helped Fat Brands issue a securitization, this one for another $40 million, to help acquire the Johnny Rockets fast food brands. So it's a really emphasize why, you know, I'm giving Cadence my company of the week, folks, is the firm acted as a sole structuring agent again on the deal, proving that this isn't just repeat business, that fat brands can completely rely on Cadence for both issuance and structuring services to the full tune of $80 million now. So that brings Cadence's stats up to incredible highs, more than 155 million in notes have been issued across 125 offerings with 14 originators now since that update. So they're on track for a strong finish in 2020, likely above 200 million it seems like. And for proving themselves as an industry leader like this, I want to give the Cadence team my company of the week. I'm certain you agree, Kyle, because you know you awarded them pretty much the same reasons earlier this year, your award. Absolutely fascinating. It's tremendous. This is exactly the thing that we've been preaching here on the podcast now for 63 episodes. Listeners, you may remember the last time we covered these fat brands bonds, we actually saw that they were rated, I think it was by Morningstar or maybe by, by a different rating firm. They were actually rated higher because of this blockchain tracking through their analytics. I think that they were given a, a triple B instead of a double B or triple B plus instead of triple B. Um, they were rated one ranking higher than where their traditional credit rating would be at for a corporate bond because of the blockchain technology being able to track these and source all the information immediately and on an immutable ledger. So that's exactly why I'm sure Fat Brands wanted to do this again. They're going to get a better rate for their capital by issuing it through on-chain instead of doing the traditional issuance. And then obviously for Cadence, this is fantastic. So all around, this is tremendous. I love this use case and, and uh, it's really, really exciting. Hopefully we'll see more firms adopt this solution as well. I believe so. Cadence is leading the way and that's why they won Company of the Week. Boom. Now let's get into the news. And before I do, I want to let you all know that the articles we cover on this show, everything we discuss, it's all sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're available for reference in the about description as well, the podcast, or also on the Security Token Show Medium blog. You can always go catch it there. If you ever want to read the actual articles, dig into them yourself uh, whenever you want. So kicking things off, there was some big industry news on the legislative side here in the U.S. Two more bills have been introduced to Congress to try and create definitions for blockchain-based tokens, and it's kind of a big deal, I think. The one that really matters when it comes to security tokens is Securities Clarity Act, which aims at creating clarity for token issuers when it comes to doing ICOs. So the approach here is to remove the burden that a token becomes a security when it is sold via an investment contract, so long as the underlying asset is not deemed a security itself, such as utility tokens, non-fungible tokens, or cryptocurrencies. So the author, Congressman Tom Emmer, says, quote, the purpose of this act is to clarify and codify that an asset sold pursuant to an investment contract, whether tangible or intangible, including an asset in digital form that is not otherwise a security under the act, does not become a security as a result of being sold or otherwise transferred pursuant to an investment contract. So basically, as long as you're not actually selling stocks or other securities, you won't be regulated as a security forever, even if you do a compliant ICO. 
Note that you still need to do a compliant ICO from what I understand here, but you just won't need to worry afterwards that you might be treated as a security as a result of doing an ICO that follows securities laws. So this is indeed brings clarity to the crypto space that they can do ICOs, just likely not as they still probably hope, which is to be able to do them to everybody and with no compliance restrictions and requirements whatsoever. Still, I think this is definitely a step in the right direction since it goes in theme with what we've been preaching on the show forever, which is that we need to find security tokens altogether so that issuers also have clarity they can operate in the existing capital markets using this new blockchain technology, which is also extremely relevant, by the way, to our main topic today. So we'll get back to this. Needless to say, the bill still needs to pass, but it does have bipartisan support. So let's see what happens. We'll keep you in the loop. Just keep the discussion going. It's the most important part for sure. And moving into company announcements, we're kicking off with news from iStocks, the first Singaporean security token exchange, which has partnered with the SGX, which is the National Singapore Exchange, to issue wholesale bonds only on iStocks. So Chief Commercial Officer Chu Oyi explains that the SGX has over 1 trillion issued in high quality wholesale bonds, but the problem is they're all issued and traded in sizes no smaller than $200,000. So of course, with fractionalization from security tokens, the bonds can be divided into even smaller amounts. Chu Oyi suggests $10,000 or even lower. And of course, that allows you to reach more and more investors and audiences. So it's exciting to see institutional grade bonds get brought to the masses thanks to iStocks. Keep it up. Kyle will definitely keep, keep, you know, give us the scoop when they eventually do get listed. And next up, we have an announcement from Relio, which has partnered with Valentis Capital Management to launch the Valentis digital platform, including a token sale of their own as well, and as a pipeline of over $250 million in deals, including an opportunistic investment fund within credit sectors and real estate markets. So Valentis is also planning to launch an SEC registered fund itself. Seems like we can expect a lot from this partnership between the two New York firms. More and more institutional deal flow will soon be hitting the market. And of course, again, Kyle will get you that scoop when they are released. We actually have more on that later. And a new entrance into the STO space has emerged as well. It's Pixelplex, which is a 13-year-old software development company with a focus on blockchain technology here that has recently updated their site to show STO platform and development services. So this marks a trend that, you know, security tokens and crowdfunding platforms are becoming more and more in demand and also a sign that perhaps the firm has worked with a client already. So either way, it's great for the industry. And I say, welcome, Pixelplex. And final company announcement here from Area to Invest. It's a security token crowdfunding platform has partnered with Finoa to integrate their custody services for security tokens on the Area to Invest platform. So custody is a critical part of the security token landscape and more providers that you have and the more options that you give, the wider the audience that you can bring in, of course, the better the user experience for a marketplace like Area to Invest, this time with Finoa, good stuff. And moving into our resources and opinion section, I've got an article on Forbes from Nisa Amoyles. It's a, she's a venture capitalist and securities lawyer with a focus on blockchain. And she eloquently walks us through the landscape, citing capital markets history of innovation, using examples like debt securitization and comments from a former SEC commissioner. So definitely positive. She is spreading the word of the tokenization of assets. So if you like that too, go check this article out. And finally, I've got one last fantastic article for you this time from Noelle Ackeson on Coindesk 
giving a very comprehensive overview of the OCC's stablecoin guidance statement released last week and how it set the seed for financial innovation in the stablecoin space. And I really mean comprehensive because she gives an overview of the stablecoin space, then the crypto space overall, and then eventually ties it all into Bitcoin. So if you're big on stablecoins and crypto, give this one a read, folks. And that's all I have for you this week. So Kyle, you have any industry events to share with our listeners? Absolutely. We've got three this week. So the first one that we have here is the Austrian Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, as we covered in the last couple of weeks. I think that there is a, a VOD of that event that we may have covered, and you may be able to find that online. That was hosted by Cryptics AG, and they go live tomorrow as released to the podcast at 11 a.m. EST, and so the tickets are free on Eventbrite, so you should go check that out. Again, as I said, this is the specific topic of this discussion is, is tokenization a game changer in financing startups and SMEs? And so it features industry leaders like Valerie Halter of Curio Invest, Christoph Kannenberger of Apex Ventures, Bernard Blaha of Cryptix AG, and more. So again, that's tomorrow as the release of this podcast. So that'll be Wednesday at 11 a.m. EST. And so awesome work from the Austrian Private Equity and Venture Capital Association for hosting that one. Moving on, we also have a webinar hosted by iStocks, which hosts Manish Bagvara, who is the CEO of Stratus Investment Management, who discusses building a diversified real estate portfolio for capital preservation and updated perspectives on the market. So they identified a few key topics, specifically the importance of real estate as an asset class, professional insights and philosophy on constructing a globally diversified real estate portfolio, and finally, global real estate market outlooks, trends, and expectations for 2020 and beyond. So that's October 2nd at 8 a.m. So I guess that'll be next week or I guess the end of this week for that webinar, you definitely want to go check that one out, October 2nd at 8 a.m. EST. We also have LA Blockchain Summit, and that's back, hosted by Draper Gorin Holm. You may recognize this one. They've had a ton of great events over the years, and so these events have been a staple in the blockchain industry for a few years now. And so this year, it's all online, but I'm sure the quality is still going to be very high. I know there's a ton of panels, ranging from Bitcoin to DeFi to security tokens. So it's a two-day event on October 6th and 7th. Definitely go to the LA Blockchain website, and you can I think it's LABlockchainSummit.com where you're gonna be able to see all of the panels, but there were so many that I couldn't even really break down all of them on this. Definitely go check that out, it's a two day event. We've both spoken there in the past, they always have a consistent security token uh, tr track or panel set, so I'm sure they'll have another one this year, no doubt. Absolutely, and I think that they've invested through Draper Gorn Home and in some of the notable security token companies as well, so they, they're definitely big proponents of the industry. Finally, I've got one more for you, and this final event is from this year's Core Summit, hosted by Core Connects. The theme of this event is around Reggae Plus exemption with, a, with the event this year titled 2020, the year companies are raising capital from everyone. And so this event is going to feature Rialto Markets, North Capital, SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce, and again, many more panelists who are speaking at the event, which does seem to be a benefit of these digital events. They seem to be able to fit more and more content. And so all this stuff's fantastic. Hopefully, again, with a lot of these events, there's going to be videos on demand later that you'll be able to check out as well um, because they're already digitally native. But this event, Core Connects, is going to be October 7th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. EST. Again, there's a lot of panels, 11 a.m to 6 p.m. EST. Go check out the Core Summit, um, coresummit.io, K-O-R-E, summit.io to find out more about those panels and what they're working on. So a lot of cool events, but moving into the security token updates, 
We have one update for you, and this is from Wave Financial Group, who's the issuer behind that tokenized Kentucky Bourbon Fund, who we uh, covered a couple times on the podcast now. And they recently announced a partnership with Investa X as their broker partner as the fund begins its real fundraise process and really begins exploring raising much more capital. And so according to the press release, the Whiskey Fund is registered with the Monetary Authority of Singapore, and it has received clearance to be marketed to accredited investors in Singapore. It's expected that investors will be able to exit their investment after two years, shall they wish to, via tokenization and secondary exchange listing. So they're they're kind of going for this short-term uh, liquidity angle, but I think they're still sticking to Singapore. That's where their main focus is now. That's where they're registered. And so we'll see. Maybe they'll list on one of the exchanges we covered, whether that's iStocks, HGX, or somebody coming soon. So awesome work from, uh, from Wave Financial. Hopefully this works well with InvestX. We wish them the best of luck raising their money. Now I've got a couple new security tokens for you. The first one is an update from an article Herwig mentioned earlier in this episode, and that is from Valentis Capital Management. So they're a US-based investment fund, and as we mentioned, they're looking to raise $50 million through a security token as part of their $250 million credit fund, according to their recent press release. It should be open to retail and institutional participants alike, which suggests to me that they are, in fact, going to register with the SEC for this fund. They will be working with technology provider Rilio, as we also covered, to launch Valentis Digital and the VAL1 token to raise the funding. The token will be issued on the Algorand blockchain, which has seen tremendously increased attention recently as rising Ethereum gas fees do show that the network may not be able to handle more and more traffic without a significant tech upgrade. The VAL1 tokens will represent direct economic LP interest in the fund, which plans to invest in assets such as mortgage securities, including real estate, as well as distressed debt. So expect to see this fundraise launch as soon as the next month or two, but the article did note the fundraise may be delayed until 2021 due to corona affecting the investing markets. But keep your eyes out for another potentially registered U.S. fund after we saw ARCA do something similar um, with treasury bonds in the last uh, in, in 2020. The final STO this week comes from the Philippines, where Yulong announced its plans to list a security token on the Filipino Crypto SX Exchange. Yulong is a U.S.-based biotech company, but based on the press release, it doesn't seem like the firm has actually raised money or issued the security token yet, despite the fact that the article's headline titles it as, Yulong will be issuing the world's first security token offering to list on CryptoSX. I was not familiar with CryptoSX as an exchange prior to the release, but I was able to find some additional information in the release and through my outside research that I will note. CryptoSX is a compliant exchange with all applicable financial and virtual exchange policies and regulations of the Filipino government under the CEZA, which is the, the Cagayan Economic Zone Authority. CryptoSX was awarded the full per- principal license by CESA in 2018, and since then they've been working very closely with the regulators to further develop and enhance the STO listing procedures, compliance, and reporting requirements as well. It's one of the very few exchanges supposedly that's operating with this relevant license in Asia, and it also intends to become fully compliant with U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissions and FINRA in the future, according to their release. 
This is an exciting announcement, but I think that the release may have been just a little bit premature based on the information I was able to find. The biotech and stem cell company and industry is very exciting, but as we've seen in traditional biotech, these projects are incredibly risky, very capital intensive, and have a very long path to success. So I wish Yulong much success in their token issuance and fundraise process, and the same with CryptoSX with their licensing process here in the US. But as we've seen from other US-based marketplaces and exchanges, the registration process can take years. So regardless of how long it takes, you know you're going to hear the updates here on the podcast and we're going to bring it all to you as soon as we can get the latest updates. Fantastic news. Yet another security token exchange, you know, not even in the United States, but still aspiring to get there. Really great stuff. Awesome. And it's based that they have the, the licenses out of Asia. So hopefully this is a, an opportunity for, for issuers um, to list somewhere while they try to find that intermediary option for the U.S. So they, very exciting. They keep coming out of the woodwork. And so moving into the market update, let's talk about the secondary markets. As always, as we've said before, all news and pricing data is sourced from stomarket.com. And so the STO market cap this week was actually totally sideways. We had about a 0% change. I think it was 525 last week and maybe 524 this week, something along those lines. So about a 0% change, which was also headlined by a 0% change for OSTKO, even with about $500,000 in weekly trading volume. We did see a 2% increase on T0 with over a million in weekly trading volume, which is good to see. And then real estate did outperform the rest of the industry, averaging about an 8.5% percent increase in price this week. Still pretty low volumes compared to the T0 tokens, but as I've covered in articles in the past, it is a higher adjusted liquidity rate, which signifies that they do have pretty healthy liquidity relative to their asset size. So that's definitely encouraging signs there. And I had one other fun comment before we move past the market segment that I would like to announce the winners of the security token market Twitter poll this week, Herwig. And this week, inspired by the Security Token Advisor's newest consultant, Keith Smith's thoughts, we launched a poll to the Security Token community with one simple question. Which blockchain protocol will emerge as the leader in the Security Token realm? We gave four options, Tezos, Ethereum, Ravencoin, and an option for other, where users could comment their choice in the comments below. Well, the public has decided. The winner for this week's poll was Ravencoin with 594 votes, amounting to nearly 47% of the total. In close second was Tezos or Tezos with 520 votes, and the final 100 or so were distributed between Ethereum and the other section. A quick reminder here is that these polls are often attracting of passionate fans who tend to be investors, and these polls don't necessarily represent technical advice or guidance on which blockchain to use. So if you're an issuer looking for advice on the subject, the best option is to reach out to Security Token Advisors or any other consulting firm who can maybe help you through every step of the tokenization process. If you're looking for some of that advice, reach out to Herwig or myself via LinkedIn or Twitter, and we're going to point you in the right direction. But uh, an interesting poll this week and a great turnout, I'd say. Wow, man. Well, after so much growth the last few months, it is refreshing to see a stable week in the space. That's a sign of normalcy, as Mm -hmm. you pointed out, too. Lots of trading still going on. And yeah, absolutely. Thanks to the strong community for coming out there. A lot of votes. You know, I think it was our second biggest poll when it comes to votes, over 1,200. So really, really incredible response. And special shout out to the Ravencoin community for a victory there. And with that, I think we can segue, uh, Kyle, into our main topic for the episode. Let's do it. So today we're going to be reviewing that SEC no action letter that was released last Friday regarding security tokens, or as they phrase it, digital asset securities. 
Yeah, I don't love that term, Kyle, but uh, it seems that's what the SEC is referring to as security tokens, of course. So not sure why it couldn't just be digital securities instead of digital asset securities, but you know, what can you do, huh? Before we go over the actual content of the letter, though, I want to make sure our listeners are all on the same page when it comes to actually what a no action letter is. So in the world of capital markets, of course, the SEC is the police. And as the regulator, they need to enforce a lot of cases and a lot of rules. And so in some cases, they issue no action letters to, to where cases where they settle with an issuer, for example, and let them know that they're not gonna continue with enforcement. In other cases, they are issued when there are gray areas in the industry, professionals require clarity from the SEC. In all these scenarios, the no action letter represents what it sounds like, meaning the SEC will take no action against you. So each no action letter, of course, then sets a precedent in the industry in the context of what it was released around. And in this case, the SEC released a no action letter in response to questions from a joint staff statement released back in July of 2019 regarding custody of digital asset securities from the SEC and FINRA. Absolutely right, Herwig. So in this case, the no action letter is addressing the ATS's role in the settlement of digital asset security trades. In fact, the letter is addressed to a vice president at FINRA, suggesting that this might have been incited by internal meetings between the two on the subject. And in the spirit of staying away from jargon, let's just cover what an ATS stands for, and that stands for an alternative trading system, which is essentially a secondary market for private securities that's operated directly by a broker-dealer. No national stock exchanges currently support security tokens, and broker-dealer ATSs have really been the only solution for secondary market trading of tokenized securities. However, many questions have revolved around trading security tokens and who custodies them or who holds the responsibility of those assets. A lot of different lawyers, investment bankers, and industry leaders will give you different answers on how the SEC treats security tokens, but the general consensus is that the SEC does not allow for blockchain-based settlement of securities, and therefore the blockchain is only acting as a registry tool. This creates new questions regarding custody and settlement for the industry. The no action letter from Friday now outlines a second way that ATSs can now settle security tokens or digital asset securities without concern of the consequences that if they follow these steps. Herwig, do you want to explain the first and explain to your listeners what this new model is and how they compare? Sure. With pleasure. The original settlement model outlined by the SEC in 2019 was a four-step process that goes as follows. Step one, the buyer and seller send their respective orders to the ATS. Step two, the ATS matches the order as they are supposed to do. And step three, the ATS notifies the buyer and seller of the match trade, ending with step four, the buyer and seller settling the transaction bilaterally, either directly with each other or by instructing their respective custodians to settle the transaction on their behalf. Mm-hmm. However, this method brought up concerns from the industry and pressed for another simpler approach. So the SEC has allowed and clarified on this model, which goes as follows. Step one, the buyer and seller send their respective orders to the ATS, notify their respective custodians of their respective orders submitted to the ATS, and instruct their respective custodians to settle transactions in accordance with the terms of their orders when the ATS notifies the custodians of a match on the ATS. So I just want to rephrase step one there just to be very clear, everyone. Basically, it's the ATS, the custodian 
uh, working back with each other as the order is submitted. It's almost like you're giving the custodian or the ATS and the custodian the right to settle with each other through each other. Step, on your behalf. On your right? behalf. So they're exactly. the agent for that. Exactly. So step two, the ATS then matches those orders after they've been received. And step three, the ATS notifies the buyer and seller and, of course, their respective custodians of the match trade and the custodians carry out, of course, the conditional instruction. So given what you just said, Kyle, uh, know everything that we just described is, of course, happening programmatically on chain. So this is very important that this is a simple, quick step between everything. Right. So to make sure it's clear to everyone, what this no action letter from the SEC does is tell the ATS operators that are transacting security tokens that if they choose to follow the three-step process, they will not receive action against them by the SEC, which is great news because it provides a second method of doing this. And as you said, the blockchain speeds this process up and automates a lot of this jargon. So potentially this three-step process makes it much simpler. Brian Brooks at the OCC actually said this was a smart move towards investor protections. But it does come with some caveats as well, right, Kyle? In order to follow this three-step model, the broker-dealer needs to also have at least $250,000 in cash on hand in reserve. That the agreements also between the broker-dealer and their customers need to clearly state that the broker-dealer operator does not guarantee or otherwise have responsibility for settling the trades. And that efforts are taken to establish that such securities are properly registered or exempted and that all applicable securities laws are, of course, followed, which then, of course, brings up some questions like, why do you need that cash on hand? Additionally, other securities attorneys jumped in to complicate the leather further. Questions around the role of the transfer agent in all of this, as suggested by Brian Farber, the general counsel of Securitize. Another question from Drew Hanks of Carlton Fields asks, you know, regarding Rule 15C3-3B, which is regarding custody under which the broker-dealer must obtain and maintain physical possession or control of all fully paid or excess margin securities carried by a broker-dealer for the account of customers. So more and more complications there. Overall, it seems like the SEC is trying to move the industry forward, but hasn't really fully thought about all of the angles here. Yeah, it, hopefully our listeners are still following. I know this is incredibly complicated. Sometimes it's easier to read than it is to listen, but it, it does seem like there it, it's incredibly counterintuitive here to require that the third party custody agent that represents the buyer and then the other one that represents the seller. It seems really counterintuitive to me to require those same brokers that they must explicitly state that they play no part in settling the trades. Like I guess the SEC is trying to make a distinction between the independent brokers and then the ATS itself. But then when you tie in this 250,000 cash requirement and the other legalese here, it just seems like this could be really simplified even further. I mean, at this point, I don't see why these outside services can't just be provided by the ATS license as a singular entity. Regardless, this is a big change in direction from the SEC, who has hardly ever hinted towards specific regulation for crypto assets, and now is clearly making a distinction between blockchain native assets and security tokens, which is tremendous progress. Hopefully they continue to move in this direction and continue to provide more clarity, either through publishing more guidance or by offering new opportunities for no action letters, allowing for better systems to operate despite a lack of specific regulatory clearance. 
Totally. And who knows, we might see some active ATSs start to try and implement this three-step process. And more attention, of course, towards digital asset securities, as the SEC says, and not crypto asset securities, I think is a good thing. At least the SEC is trying to listen to the industry and trying to get it right. So I don't think there's much more need to get into the weeds. As, as you said, Kyle, we're getting pretty advanced. So I think let's wrap up the show here. I want to thank all of you amazing listeners for tuning in and to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter or on LinkedIn with questions and feedback on the episode and that you can join the community at stlmarket.com news where you can submit articles, you can make comments, you can ask questions with the rest of the community. Be sure to catch us next week on Tuesday for episode 64. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs>